Thanks again for joining us for the Replatform Podcast. It's myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. Uh, hello, mate. How are you? I am good. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Um, we're hoping the Wi-Fi stays connected for this recording. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get on a bit better with this one. Exactly. Um, so we've got another cracking episode today. We are talking about um, scalable technology. What's driving Rafa's global e-commerce growth? So very, very cool, interesting brand for you today. So a bit of preamble, then we'll introduce our guest. Rafa was founded in 2004 in London, the goal of making the world's finest cycling clothing uh, and for beginners through to cycling professionals. And the brand's been grown rapidly online and technology is inevitably a key driver of that. Uh, so today we're talking to Rafa's technology director, uh, Ben, about the technologies they use and how they're using to support and drive growth. So it should be a cracking episode for you. Key things we're going to cover is what does the tech and engineering team look like? What technology is behind Rafa Cycling Club? And why is the business um, heading in a specific direction? Why is it looking at the technology it is, etc.? Um, so welcome to the podcast, Ben. How are you? Thank you very much, James. Pleasure to be here. I am very well. Amazing. I'm glad to hear it. So before we start asking you annoying questions, do you want to give uh, our audience uh, a bit of an introduction, who you are, what, what, what you do at Rafa, and also for those who don't know Rafa as well, you know, what, what is the brand, what does it represent, and what does it sell? Sure, that's a, a lot to talk about. But yeah, I'm, I'm Ben, I'm the technology director at Rafa, as you said. I've been with the company for five years now. And yeah, Rafa is a, a, a brand. We're very global. We are incredibly multifaceted. We uh, pride ourselves on the bringing together of content, commerce, and community, the three C's as we call them. And yeah, we just try and bring that um, to life for a global footprint of, of cyclists. And our mission is to make cycling the most popular sport in the world. That's our, our long-term stretch goal. Amazing. That's that's a big, big ambitious goal. I like it. It yeah. is. It's a big, uh, big, hairy, audacious goals, we call them. Yeah, hairy, audacious goals. I've not heard them described that way. That's good. Um, so ready for some questions then? Absolutely. Fire away. Great. I'll ask the first one. Uh, good to see you're on brand as well with your Rafa hoodie. I am indeed. Yeah, always representing. Great. Um, so if we just start off with, maybe if you can just give us an overview on some of the technologies you use as part of the kind of overall kind of overarching stack. Um, so e-com, maybe in-store, the community. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> starting with e-commerce, we, uh, we're on SAP Hybris um, in a self-hosted mode at the moment. So we, we're using that for a lot of things at the moment in a sort of monolith uh, architecture. So that's, that powers the e-com site um, and is a kind of source of truth for a lot of data. Uh, we have our own in-house mobile applications that we develop. They're native on iOS and Android, and that is the app that brings together everyone in the uh, Rafa Cycling Club, the RCC, which is uh, our 20,000-plus member um, global cycling club. And, yeah, I mean, we use a, a ton of other technologies sort of integrated uh, with the SAP stack. So we, we use uh, Microsoft Navision Dynamics for our ERP behind that. Um, we use Ampliance for content delivery, for asset hosting as well. We host everything on the, the hybrid side on AWS, and then that all sits behind Cloudflare, which lets us be fast and global because we need to be able to serve uh, customers from as far away as the West Coast of the US all the way to Australia. So yeah, we always have to be quite conscious of the, the reach that we have and, and make sure that we're performing everywhere. Uh, we've 
over the last couple of years, we, we've um, adopted Exponia as our CRM CDP platform. So uh, trying to bring together a single view of the customer, whether they uh, reach us through the website or through one of our clubhouses, um, of which we have 20 or so dotted around the world as well. So, so yeah, there are a lot of um, exciting challenges that come about just through how global we are and how diverse our kind of touch points are with, with customer experience. And um, can you just talk us through the role of the native apps? Um, yeah, I think that's a particularly interesting one. Like, does that does that work with Hybris? And like, how kind of broad are the apps? Uh, so they do work with with Hybris. I mean, certainly for authentication. So um, the so Hybris kind of acts as a an authentication kind of backend for them. But they they are separate to a shopping experience. They're largely to provide um, a lot of what we see as, as community. So yeah, as I mentioned, we have over 20,000 members now in the Raffa Cycling Club and they're all around the world and the app is what helps bring them together. So it allows them to join and create, uh, excuse me, join and create rides um, in their local areas, see local events that we might be running or, um, you know, local ride leaders that we empower might be running in their areas. Um, and yeah, there's there's just tons of benefits they can get through the app. So we've got in-app chat and all that kind of thing so they can meet each other and the real power of the cycling club is is when they uh, they kind of flywheel works properly and they're all sort of working off each other and we're not just having to feed and continuously um, foster that community, but it grows by itself. Great. And then um, two other quick questions. Um, so the clubhouses. So I've um, been to your uh, the Soho one a few times and the Spitalfields one. Um, how do they fit into all of this? Like how does that integrate with the e-com store and the app? Um, yeah, that one first, actually. That's a really interesting question. It's a huge challenge for us because at the moment they are um, technologically quite separated. I mean, they do obviously come together at some level, but from a customer experience point of view, they are they are quite separate. So that's a huge part of our roadmap as, at the moment is to to bring those elements together. Um, but yeah, the clubhouse as a whole, they're, they're massively important for us. They are uh, the the forefront of our of our brand. It's where people typically interact with us face to face. So. Um, so yeah, they're they're all about bringing together um, cyclists. They they're hubs for their communities. They're where RCC chapters are based. Um, so they're not just sort of shops in a conventional sense. But we yeah. So as I mentioned, we're, we're on a, a mission to um, weave the offline and the online aspects of the uh, customer experience together. So that's one of our big roadmap pieces at the moment. As I said, is to um, move more into an omni-channel direction so that we can interweave those online offline experiences like we should be able to tell when you've you've been visiting a clubhouse whether it's soho or, or wherever and uh yeah tailor your experience accordingly based on on your profile that makes sense and uh, and sticking with that kind of omni-channel theme um how have you found exponia and kind of what uh stage you are in terms of kind of using exponia for that kind of broader omni-channel view of the customer Oh, we found it. I mean, it's incredibly flexible, very powerful. Um, it's it's not sort of particularly opinionated in how it works. So we've been able to really leverage um, leverage it as a sort of toolkit and, and um, build it into exactly the kind of experience that we need to deliver. So we're using it at the moment for all our, our marketing emails. Uh, we've got plans to um, bring it into the fold for um, the transactional email side as well. And that would be both web and uh, through clubhouses. So that's, that's still in the in the works, but yeah, something we're, we're definitely working towards. 
Cool, a question a question on that then. So you, you've got your your e-commerce stack and SAP. Uh, you've got other technologies uh, involved in the clubhouse. You've got Ex- Exponia from a, a CRM uh, a marketing point of view. How how do you manage the development teams around that? Because there's quite a diverse set of skills. So how much is in-house? Because I know you've got development and engineering capability now versus how much is it is through external partners to get the, the scale you need? So everything covered so far is all is all handled in-house. Um, yeah, we have a team of, uh, a total technology team of 30 and uh, of that 20 are uh, developers and engineers across mobile, web, and so on. Um, so, so yeah, we 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 aim to handle everything in house. We found that that's the best way to obviously retain knowledge within the company over a long period of time, and also really to uh, deliver the best possible experiences that we can. Because you know, there's always challenges when that's that's outsourced um, through an agency relationship or something. Then um, it's it's just a bit harder to to hang on to the the high standards that we set for ourselves in terms of delivering experiences. So, so yeah, I think the, um, in terms of scale, like that's always a challenge. There's always, you know, N plus one things to go after and, and we, we're, we're limited on resource. So there's always a, a challenge to temper our expectations and our, um, our appetites, but that's something we're, we're trying to get better at over time. Um, but yeah, we, we, we have a very multidisciplinary team who we're moving to be more, uh, generic in their approach. So uh, a lot of these web technologies that things like Exponia integrate with, um, the integration between any of these systems is ultimately just connecting APIs together, uh, which we're doing through increasingly through our own middleware that we're building out um, in a serverless architecture. So yeah, we're, we're gradually becoming a bit more service-oriented and decoupling some of these big systems and trying to link them together with common bits of technology that we own. Therefore, we're in a, a better place to uh, integrate with new systems, new services that, that come along that we might um, find we need as we grow and as our business changes and evolves. Uh, but also, it gives us the ability to swap things out if we want to, and we retain that sort of connectivity between systems. Cool. So, so you just mentioned um, building out your own middleware. Are you? Is that proprietary? And uh, you're not using a third-party middleware and extending then? So you're building it out yourself. Correct. Yes, there's a running theme here where we like. It probably sounds like we make uh, life a bit difficult for ourselves. But yeah, we're we're building that out um, on AWS using uh, their serverless tech stack. So it's all kind of from scratch, more or less. Um, Interesting. It allows it to be very, uh, very simple, very lean, and um, yeah, we 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 sort of start with the bare basics and then yeah. add to it as we go. So what's the end goal? I, I think this is a really interesting area because I know other businesses who've gone down the middleware route, but they've bought it in. Not so many are building out their own, but also some agencies have created proprietary middlewares for this specific reason. So is the, is the end goal that literally everything from a, a data transfer point of view will go through the middleware? That's likely to be the case. I mean, there are certain scenarios where um, it just it just makes more sense to connect point to point from system A to system B. But for the most part, yes, we would ultimately have everything going through the middleware. It just allows us to uh, to, ha- to to be the, the owners and the gatekeepers of, of how all that data moves. Um, we can put all the, the monitoring and analytics and, and uh, business insights that we need into that as well. So that can feed out from that at the point of transaction or whenever things are happening. So yeah, it just, it just provides us a huge amount of flexibility that we control and that's our proprietary piece. Yeah, it sounds really, really cool. Um, 
So James and I have talked quite a lot about building out in-house technology teams, and it's a bit of a theme at the moment, particularly amongst kind of high-growth D2C brands. Um, what advice do you have for people looking at this at the moment, and kind of how have you kind of progressed that over time from when you first started? Sure, I think we've we've had to do a lot of growing up. Um, and we're not a technology company, so it, it's always hard to. Uh, compete on the market with other tech companies who are, especially in London, where we're based, where we're you know, it's an incredibly competitive market for technologists and, and engineers. Um, but yeah, we, we've just had to make sure that we're following industry best practices and, and patterns, um, just making ourselves a very attractive place to work and work on some very cool things. And, and being a you know a, a market leading brand clearly helps with that as well. We we get a lot of interest from people in all fields who happen to be cyclists and you know we're, we're pretty magnetic as far as that goes so see i think my my advice would be work on developer culture like focus on developer experience um a lot of e-commerce uh environments tend to be a bit limited in terms of you're just plugging system a to system b and it's not that exciting from a development point of view whereas if you can actually own a chunk of the stack and develop that in-house as, as bespoke software, um, or particularly if you you know you you have a very tailored as we do um, front end, the storefront itself is is um, is proprietary as well, and you know we, we we invest a lot into the design and experience there. Then that provides a lot more fun, um, quite honestly, just to work on. And uh, yeah, we find that that keeps us going quite a lot. So you say the storefront's proprietary. What what's the storefront built in then? It's a, I'm assuming it's all managed in house then. Correct. Yeah. So at the moment uh, in production, we have uh, the site that you'll see today is is rendered directly out of Hybris. So it is a Hybris storefront, but it's one that we've. When I was part of the team that was building it, and we we just kind of more or less binned all of the default templates, emptied them all out, and and started from scratch, just so that we could inject our own view of what the the shopping experience could be, and not have it overly limited by um a standard set of of journeys and, and layouts um and yeah we're, we're on on the way towards decoupling that now so with another huge roadmap piece for us is is the move to headless and that will obviously involve a completely separate front-end application that we're building excellent well we're part we've got a few questions that because the, the everyone's obsessed with headless mode so we'd love to hear practically what that means and why so we'll come back to that it sounds very interesting um one of the most impressive things about Rafa is is the, the cycling club, which you know we touched upon earlier. That, that community bit is one of the core pillars of the the three seats. Uh, it was founded in 2015, and I think from what I read, there's more than 17,000 members worldwide, which is which is significant numbers. What what does the technology look like behind that? Is is that li- that separate to Hybris, right? So h- how is that? How or is that part of Hybris? So, the, I mean, all of those members are, they have accounts within Hybris. So they effectively have an account with the website, um, for want of a better way of putting it. And then, yes, they their experience doesn't necessarily have to be through anything digital. There's, there's plenty of people who uh, would purchase the membership and then just experience it through the clubhouses in a, a sort of offline capacity. But it really comes into its own when um, when you're participating in, in rides and things, which are largely coordinated through the through the mobile application that we build. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination of those two things. And largely the mobile application kind of sits by itself. It has its own backend stack uh, that delivers APIs to the, the mobile apps. Um, 
and yeah, that's also on AWS using technology like GraphQL and and yeah. so on to um, yeah to provide all the data that the, the app needs. And how much, how close is the integration between app and, and commerce from a hybrid point? Are you using uh, APIs to pull in commerce elements, or is it is that app meant to be something different than a commerce? So it's currently quite different. Um, it's very much focused on the community side and less so on the commerce. We have, um, over the last year, we've we've begun exploring how we might introduce commerce a little bit through product suggestions and, and announcements of new launches, which has been uh, which has been quite successful. Uh, certainly, something we we could explore, but we do want to make sure that we're focusing on the experience of Rafa as a whole and not just selling, because uh, we're we're about much more than that. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I guess what before we start talking a bit more about that kind of headless stack, um, what are some of the other key tech projects or kind of bigger moves you've made around technology over the last couple of years? Uh, so the middleware piece is a huge one for us. Like that's that's completely flipped everything on its head from taking an off-the-shelf product and just customizing loosely around the edges to taking off-the-shelf products, but then you, you know, not touching it uh, as much as we possibly can and, and building absolutely everything on top and separate from it. So that's a huge technological and cultural shift for us. It's completely transformed how we have to go about the very practice of engineering. It's new tools, it's new techniques, it's new, um, you know, it's pushed us further in directions that we already, already wanted to go in towards continuous integration and deployment and automation and all those good things. So um, so yeah, that's been a huge one. Um, we migrated as well the infrastructure that we we host on from private virtualized infrastructure where we used to be to uh, to clouds with Amazon. So that's also been, I mean, that's a, that was a mammoth undertaking for the team because we were sitting on a very very old um, like uh, legacy almost uh, deployment method, uh, which was many many years of. Uh, history and changes baked into a lot of configuration and um, customization of, of how the application itself was deployed, and it was a big undertaking to lift and shift that across. So that's been pretty big for us as well because it's allowed us to become scalable for the first time with the e-commerce side. So we can now, even though we have a monolith application, we can, um, to some degree, scale it up and down depending on um, you know uh, retail kind of peaks and troughs. So that's been pretty powerful for us too. Uh, so yeah, those are, those are a couple of big ones. I mean, there's all sorts of others. We've had um, some amazing projects which are kind of facilitating other things that the brand is working on. So um, from the tech perspective, one really interesting one last year was the collaboration that we did with Palace Skateboards um, for Team EF, uh, one of the pro teams that we, we sponsor. And yeah, like just going from being a, a kind of always on e-commerce site to <clears throat> suddenly having to facilitate a hypey drop of uh, just a few, a handful of products um, that would all be sold within seconds in some cases was was quite a big shift. And we actually had to uh, put a queuing system in place for that, but just so that we could stay online basically and, and cater to the need. Yeah, that will make sense. Um, and then go back to that headless piece that you mentioned. Um, what made you go down this route, given that you've kind of managed to uh, move away from kind of standard templating within SAP? Um, and like, what were your main objectives? So although we moved away from the standard templating, as you say, I think we, we're still tethered 
just by the nature of a monolith, right? We 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 can only release um, on a, a fairly slow cadence. Um, you know, even even if we're really pushing forward, we'll do one every two weeks, which is incredibly slow by any kind of modern standard. So, just the ability to 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 gain that flexibility, that that ability to change at a shorter time frame, and to be able to run a culture of experimentation, which we've not hitherto been able to do very well. So just trialing different changes to the site and seeing what works from a conversion uh, conversion rate optimization point of view, that's that's kind of what we're aiming for. So yeah, it's largely about becoming agile. Um, ultimately, any new presentation that's based on the same content and or the same combinations of content and commerce, we should be able to do that with a very small deployment to the site. And that should be something that could happen multiple times a day. So that's what we're, we're aiming towards with that whole move. Fantastic. And you talked a little bit um, a minute ago around kind of the monolithic uh, kind of SAP e-com platform. Do you intend to kind of further decouple that e-com stack or do you have any kind of intention to move platform? Um, yeah. What's the kind of, what else are you kind of looking to do around that stack? So at the moment, we're, we're still happy to use it as the sort of, um, what's the word, like the sort of combined e-commerce platform. So we wouldn't separate it out just yet into things like product management and order management, um, at least not as far as we, we're planning to at the moment. So the main plan is to move to the uh, the newer model, which is their Commerce Cloud product, where they basically provide it to you as if it was a bit of SaaS and you just consume APIs from it and it's uh, uh, hosted by them um, in the cloud and and yeah, you don't have to get involved in the business of customizing and running and operating a, an e-commerce platform, which is ultimately not what we're about. We want to be much more focused on the experience end of the of the stack. Yes, yeah, so a question for me, uh, because obviously as the technology director, you're straddling across the technical strategy and the business capability and that kind of classic T-shaped piece. And, and something that business stakeholders often struggle to understand is, when everyone talks about this, is why headless setups enable agile deployments and increased cadence? I'd really love to hear from your point of view, like what fundamentally changes and how how does it enable you to work quicker? Sure. So I think that for me, it's a separation of concerns. So at the moment, uh, with a monolith, we have everything sitting in one massive code base in one big application connected to one big database. So um, to paint a, a clear picture, if we were to go in and change something, literally anything, like move the logo a pixel to the left or something, because that code change sits in the same code base as our checkout logic, there is a risk, however slight, that we would impact unintentionally something quite critical. Uh, so, yeah, that just means that we have to be quite um, careful with any change that we make. And um, also, just the scale of the application itself, like it takes hours to deploy um, any kind of change, even if it's something like changing a bit of CSS, as I mentioned, for the for the front end, that's still a, a huge deployment that needs to happen. So by separating that piece out into uh, a lightweight front end application that can be deployed in, let's say, a minute or two, um, you, you enable this process of making much faster, more frequent changes. Um, and you don't have to touch or interfere with the underlying business logic that sits in the back end. That can be perfectly happy being released once a month, let's say, because that logic doesn't really need to change all that often. Yeah, I think that thanks. That's a really nice way of explaining it to people. So it's, it's time to deploy, faster to get the code out. Um, yeah, dependencies. And I, I guess one of the key benefits to development teams is 
is reducing the complexity of QA for for releasing code and and being confident that things haven't screwed up somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Like if if you're if you're just deploying one service or one application, you only have to worry about testing the things that that service is concerned with, plus its integrations. Like you don't have to test everything in your entire business as we do at the moment every, with with every change that we make. And what what advice could you give other people who might be thinking about this starting this process? How how do you how do you scope this? Where how do you know what to prioritize? And what thought process did you go through internally to decide, do you know what, this is the areas we need to decouple first? That's a, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I like I think, questions at the end. I noticed. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I mean it, it largely depends, unfortunately, on, on what, what the current stack is and how what the what the path forward is in terms of of, of gaining um, any kind of flexibility or or, or headless um, approach. So, you know, replatforming replatforming from one stack to another is is always challenging, especially if you're moving vendor as far as the ecom platform goes. That's always going to make it much harder. But if the ecom platform you're on already provides APIs, let's say in the case of Shopify, if you already use a Shopify um, provided storefront and you want to go to Shopify Plus, let's say, and start decoupling. The API is already there. Your data is already there. That's a, a kind of simple use case. So, um, so yeah, I mean, with any big project, the aim is always to to try and break it down and, and release in, in stages rather than um, have to disappear for a year at a time and then emerge at the end of it with with something new, which is hugely risky from all sorts of angles. Um, so yeah, I'd say the advice I'd, I'd give is just try and break down for the specific path that you're on. Try and break down um, the the project of going headless into smaller pieces if you can. Like if you can go to a a more modular approach where you release certain sections of the site um, into a headless application, you can have them running side by side for a while. It allows you to gain some learnings sooner uh, from from going down that path. Then then yeah, that de-risks it and hopefully makes it a bit simpler. Yeah, I think risk is is a key point because not these aren't simple. Pro- they sound simple when everyone talks about them in the industry, but you're right, they they are complex and it's a mentality shift. I'd love to know. I don't know whether you're willing to answer this question, or but what what are the key issues you've had to overcome as a technology team in this process, and and what did you learn from them? So I think I kind of touched on it earlier. So that cultural change of of looking after an off-the-shelf application and, and customizing it is is one way to um, to approach the problem of, of running an e-commerce stack. And the technology team that you set up for that versus being a service-oriented thing where you've got multiple pieces of software which are all separated but integrated through APIs, those are two very different problems and you need two very different types of teams, lots of different expertise um, in order to support each. So yeah, we've had to learn that with the same set of people evolving and, and uh, going through training and, and trial and error over that period of time. So I think that's been the biggest challenge for us. Um, and we're still not through it. Yeah, we're still sort of learning things every day as we go, still adapting everything from the tools that we use to our very org structure and, and how the team is actually set up to, um, to kind of pave our way through that and support the new way of working in a, in a more service-oriented fashion. Yeah, and linked to that, um, you said about the, the, the changing of skill sets and having to kind of adapt, I guess, working practices in the development side. And you talked about having to keep people motivated through interesting projects. I'd love to know, like, where is where's the team going? Like, is is it just about continuing to build out all of the the subject matter expertise, 
or are you more focused on like front end versus back end? So that's a really interesting question and very timely because we're, we're wrestling with that right now. So we we have historically been set up in a discipline separated kind of way. So we've, we're a front end team, a back end team and so on. Um, but increasingly because uh, of the blurring of lines between what is front end and what is back end, especially when you get into the middleware piece, um, we've, we've found that we need to just yeah break some of those boundaries, um, start working more together as a more cohesive team and not think of things as this is the front end piece and this is the back end piece. It all, it all sort of blurs together. So, so yeah, we're starting to toy with the idea of how we might move towards feature teams or product teams who look after specific areas of functionality. So let's say we could have one around content and commerce that's an always on team and they have a backlog of their own that um, is, is fed through multiple sources, but yeah, they're just an always on team that is multidisciplinary and they can go after different challenges there. And then we'll have others um, that focus on other things like fulfillment or, or payments and that kind of thing. Oh, that's really interesting, actually, because in the same way that e-commerce teams have uh, have gone down that route, things like you know, digital marketing expertise, merchandising and traders, SEOs, that's really, really interesting. Um, fantastic. Uh, Paul, did you have any more questions? Because that's, that's covered everything I wanted to ask today. Yeah, I don't think so. I think, uh, yeah, really interesting episode. Um, yeah, really good guest. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything else to ask, to be honest, but it sounds like you've got some really good projects coming up. And um, yeah, maybe we should do another one of these episodes at some yeah. point to hear how you get on with the headless piece and the middleware. <laughs> we can do, yeah, we, we can do the retrospective in uh, six months, 12 months time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how's the middleware looking and how far is the decoupling going? Yeah, it's it's been really look, Ben really appreciate you taking the time it, it's such a cool brand and I, th- I think people really enjoy hearing from from the the challenges and the processes that, that brands like Rafa are going through thank you yeah it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh yeah it's, it's also good to to talk through some of the problems and challenges and things we've learned it actually helps <laughs> see how far we've come as well there you go it's a free counseling session on a Friday <laughs> yeah free therapy always good always good and thanks as always to everyone who's listened in keep an ear out for our next episode and let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover and please do subscribe if you haven't or give us a rating on apple spotify youtube we really do appreciate it also you know helps improve our visibility which uh, gives us the encouragement to keep on producing these episodes for more information on this topic head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.